Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk, where we're going to be talking about healthcare in America, how it works and doesn't work, and answering your questions. So, first, let me talk a little bit about healthcare is structured or not structured in America today.、Uh, there's multiple、uh, different kinds of insurance that you might have.、Uh, Many people have insurance through their employer,、uh, but also、uh, many people over 65 and people with special circumstances may have Medicare、uh, or Medicaid covering low income people and also、uh, people with, in special situations,、uh, as well as CHIP for children, the Affordable Care Act for people that don't get their insurance through their employer. And there are many other small、uh, different types of、uh, insurance plans like the、uh, Indian Health Plan. Plan.、Uh, but also, there's uh, uh, several million Americans that don't have insurance at all, even still, even today in 2021. And speaking of those folks that don't have health insurance,、uh, some people are eligible for free or low cost plans already. And、uh, some people、uh, make too much money to get、uh, those types of plans. So,、um, Uh, there's a graphic for that. And、uh, like, like I mentioned, some people、uh, can get a free plan, or、uh, they, they can also、uh, they may be eligible for、uh, low cost or free insurance through Medicaid,、uh, depending on, on how much、uh, money they make a year. Or、uh, they may be、uh, eligible for a Cheap plan on the Affordable Care Act marketplace, or some people、um, are not eligible for assistance at all. And so、uh, we will be answering your questions about all of these things and about、uh, the Affordable Care Act and Medicare. And to start, Alika,、uh, can you tell us about open enrollment for the ACA? What's happening right now and what people should do? Absolutely. So, right now we are in week two of open enrollment, which is the time every year when anyone can enroll in coverage for、um, the following year, particularly if you are not offered coverage through another source, like an employer, for example. And there are a few things that are new this year. The first thing to remember is that many states are giving people more time to apply. So, in previous years, the deadline in most states has been December 15th. This year, most states are allowing you to go to at least January 15th, but it's still really important to apply by that mid December date if you、uh, want your plan to begin January 1st.、Um, so definitely、um, check your、uh, state by state deadline to make sure you don't miss it.、Um, another really important point is that there is more financial assistance available than ever before.、Um, so if you haven't qualified for any kind of reduced、uh, any subsidies or any affordable coverage in the past, it is absolutely worth double checking. Uh, you can do that on healthcare.gov、um, with a web broker like、uh, HealthTripper, where I work,、um, or with a trusted agent or broker or sister in your area. So there's lots and lots of help. Great. And I、uh, should have started by saying hello, Halika. Tell us about you and why you're here. Absolutely. So、um, I work at HealthTripper, which is the largest private channel for ACA enrollment、um, in the country. Uh, and we have, we're a web broker, which means we can help folks、uh, enroll in plans through the ACA marketplace. And we've actually helped around 300,000 people enroll so far this year. And 
uh, just going back to that point about more assistance being available than ever, most of those people are paying less than $20 a month. So if you um, haven't yet gone and checked out your options, now is a really good time. Great. And then uh, speaking of open enrollment, it's also open enrollment for Medicare. So if you're being bombarded with mail telling you to enroll in a Medicare plan now, uh, but you already have Medicare, uh, what should you do? Diane? So great question. And um, the answer is um, multi-tiered. But uh, the first answer is that everything with Medicare or many things with Medicare change from one year to the next. And so I'm, I'm assuming, Aleka, that's also true with the ACA plans that people who already have their ACA coverage should be checking their options for next year and shouldn't assume that their options that they currently have are going to be the same next year. Is that right? That's exactly right. There are more and more insurance companies coming back to the marketplace. Plans and prices change every year. We've seen in prior years, people have come back and actively renewed their coverage rather than letting it just roll over can uh, actually save up to about 30% on their premiums or more. So really, really important to go back and check. So the same is true uh, with people um, with Medicare. Um, The difference in the amount you can pay is it could be thousands of dollars, literally, depending upon the drugs you take, the doctors you want to see, where you live. Um, And so definitely take a look, no matter what you're currently signed up with, even if you're super happy with it, because it could look very different next year. If you have traditional Medicare, the public Medicare plan, nothing really will change. Uh, But your Part D prescription drug coverage, which is separate from traditional Medicare, um, can change so much that it's worth going to the Medicare plan finder and looking again at which option is best for you. If you're in a private Medicare Advantage plan, you really want to check to see whether the doctors you use are still going to be in that plan next year, whether the deductible is changing, the co-pays are changing. And again, you want to look at the drug coverage because that's actually packaged with the Medicare Advantage plans. And it may be in your interest to switch Medicare Advantage plans simply because the drug coverage in a different plan is going to save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And even if you have uh, insurance through your employer and it's open enrollment for uh, your employee uh, insurance, you should also take a look there. Take a look at your plans. Make sure that whatever insurance you sign up for next year includes your doctors and includes the care that you need. And Diane, tell me about you. Oh, well, I have been in working on healthcare issues mostly affecting older people and people with disabilities for the last 30 plus years, which kind of dates me, I know. I started up at the Medicare Right Center, which I founded back in 1989, um, helping people navigate Medicare, much like Health Sherpa, but we focused on Medicare. Um, and um, Medicare Right Center still actually provides free assistance to people with Medicare questions. And um, I know we have a resource page and people can go there to find more information about how to get that free help if you have Medicare. And then um, since about 2005, I've been working with Social Security Works and other organizations in Washington, D.C. on a series of uh, healthcare uh, activities, including we worked on 
uh, passage of the Affordable Care Act and um, a variety of Medicare reforms to expand and improve Medicare. And Medicare for all, I should add. And my name is Laura Packard. Uh, I'm the executive director of Healthcare Voter. I also have my own nonprofit, Healthcare Voices, organizing adults with serious medical conditions. And I started doing healthcare work when the AFL-CIO sent me to Arkansas in 2009, where I was on the ground helping to get the Affordable Care Act passed, uh, never realizing that it would save my life a few years later, because uh, I'm a cancer survivor and I wouldn't be here without the ACA. So those are our particular areas of expertise, and we're happy to keep answering your questions. So this one is for you, Alika. I'm going to move sometime next year. Should I sign up for insurance now or should I wait? Great question. So if you currently have insurance, you can likely wait until closer to the time you're moving to um, get that sorted out. Um, if you're going to lose your current plan when you move or you currently are covered by a marketplace plan, and those are generally only in the one state or if they are in the one state, um, you'll get a special enrollment period when you move um, to pick a new plan. So generally that's 60 days. Uh, one thing to note is that it's good to get a head start on that process to really minimize the likelihood that you'll have a gap in coverage. Um, okay. we'll go ahead. Oh, so if you're moving, uh, you know, uh, if you're moving next spring or next summer, you should sign up now where you live now and then take advantage of the special enrollment period next year once you actually move. That's exactly right. So if you currently don't have coverage, again, now is the time to, to get some. Uh, go to healthcare.gov, go find some help from someone like us, um, like a local agent or broker, um, get signed up for that, get yourself sorted for January 1st, and then deal with it. Okay. I actually have a question for Aleka. Um, if you're moving to another state, but only 10 or 20 miles away. So you're expecting to be able to see the same doctors and use the same hospitals and you're in an ACA plan. Um, do you have to switch to an ACA plan from the state you're moving to? Really great question, Diane. Yes, you really need to be making sure that you're moving to a plan that is offered in the state where you're going to be. Those plans and prices vary by um, the specific state rating area. So always make sure, even if it's just, you know, 10 miles down the road, it's going to be based on. Okay. Cause there are, there are several different geographic areas. Like if you live in Virginia or Washington, DC or Maryland, you're all in the same general place and you might want to keep seeing your same doctor, but they might be across state lines. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy that they make you switch plans, but they generally do is my understanding. That's right. And it's, that's just goes to show in general, um, it's really important to keep your information up to date. So anytime you move, if your income changes, all of that, go back, update your application. So that can change what you qualify for. Um, so really important to get ahead of those changes so you don't get a big surprise come tax time. And speaking of surprises, uh, this question is for Diane. Uh, my hospital wants me to pay $550 for my care that my insurance didn't pay and I can't afford it. Is there anything I can do? Also a really important question. I mean, all of us are hit with crazy bills from the hospital when we go, never expecting to see the numbers that we see, receive the mail we do. It's, it's kind of unconscionable. Um, and in some cases, I suppose the hospitals are desperate for money, but in many cases, they're just doing whatever they can to get that last dime out of you. And it's very hard to fight back. And it's even worse when 
the hospital is sending a collection agency after you um, when you're not paying or not able to pay the bill right away. So I think um, first things first, I think if you're going into the hospital, it's probably worth sitting down with a social worker ahead of time if your income is is limited and you're worried about the costs and getting um, that social worker familiar with your situation so that maybe there are ways in advance to keep your costs down. Um, and then after you've received the medical care over which you have no control on God knows what's happening and what bills will be sent to you, you can then go back to the hospital and say, I'm getting all these bills. Um, what can I do? And under the Affordable Care Act, and we'll have Alica speak to this as well, there is a provision that requires um, hospitals to provide financial assistance to people with low incomes and charity care. Sometimes it's called charity care, sometimes it's called financial assistance, it's the same thing. Um, but they, hospitals don't advertise this. You won't find it on their on their main webpage and it's probably buried deep in their um, web pages. So the best way to find out what it is, is to ask the hospital social worker or to Google the name of the hospital and then financial assistance or charity care. And what you should be able to find is a document that lists um, exactly the hospital's policy for providing financial assistance. Each hospital is allowed to have a different policy. So you might imagine they all do. Um, and, the and the policies can be very strict, saying it will only help you if your income is under 150% of poverty or whatever. But there is always some give. And so the best thing to do is to um, complete the application that will come with the policy terms and then to also include a letter explaining your finding and seeing if maybe the hospital won't reduce uh, the bill because um, it's really impossible for you to pay um, and it's it, taking a big toll on you. And, and yes, some hospitals do have a heart and, and yes, they are in some instances at least required to, to give you some assistance. And so you should absolutely do this even if you're over the um, eligibility requirements. If your income's a little higher, your assets are a little higher, still write a letter, explain why you deserve to have um, a lower cost and you may just succeed at getting that. Um, if, um, if, you're, if the hospital's already sent a collection agency after you, which they tend to do, as, or some of them tend to do as, as quickly as they can, um, ask the hospital to please hold off um, and, and notify the collection agency that you have a charity application in place and that they're considering it. Um, and you just make sure that the hospital is aware and the collection agency is aware of that. Alika, do you have more advice on this? I think you nailed it, Diane. It's, it's, there's always, it's, I think with the, the, the message of today is it's always worth checking. It's always worth asking because oftentimes there is something that can be done or a better rate that can be. Yes. And uh, speaking for me, uh, one thing you should do uh, is investigate this bill. Uh, if, if you think that insurance should have covered it, 
Uh, and uh, when I was uh, hospitalized uh, the first time, insurance refused to cover the whole thing. So while I was going through cancer treatments, I was getting uh, collection letters. Uh, but you can dispute that. Uh, we'll talk more about surprise medical bills and how to deal with them uh, in future shows. But you don't have to accept this if you don't think this is right. And it, it, it can be a, a lot of time and a lot of effort to get errors fixed, but there is a process and it is possible to dispute things that are just plain wrong. Yes. I, I think that's a really important point, Laura. And with the help of your treating physician, it becomes easier. A letter from the treating physician to the insurer explaining why a procedure was medically reasonable and necessary um, can often lead to the reversal of a denial and payment. Um, the issue is really there are two types of bills you get, right? You get bills for care that's been denied and you get bills for co-pays and deductibles that the insurer is allowed to charge you um, or the hospital is allowed to charge you under your insurance plan. And so um, absolutely you want to maximize um, or reduce your costs and maximize um, your ability to um, get as mo the coverage that you're in. Mm -hmm. And this one's for Alika. What do I do if I make too much money for Medicaid, but not enough money for the Affordable Care Act? What are, what are your options? Great question. And taking a step back, the reason that this scenario exists is because under the ACA, um, there's financial assistance available to buy private marketplace plans for people who make above a certain income. Um, and states were supposed to or were allowed to um, expand their Medicaid programs um, to cover everyone below that threshold. Not all states have done that. So in about 12 states, um, currently, if you make less than that amount, you can find yourself in what's called the Medicaid gap. Um, now, Congress is currently discussing some solutions to that problem. And Laura, maybe you can speak to that. But in the meantime, if you're in this situation and don't qualify for Medicaid under another eligibility category, like, for example, um, pregnancy, disability, or being in a family with um, uh, minor children, um, there are some things you can do. Uh, the first thing to know is when you're applying for a marketplace plan, uh, you actually have to estimate how much money you're going to make in the year you'll be covered by that plan. So for people applying right now during open enrollment, um, you have to guess how much you're going to make in 2022. Uh, understandably, in particular in the last couple of years, that can be really hard to do. So um, the number one piece of advice is just make sure you're thinking of every possible source of income, part-time or contract work, uh, income from odd jobs even counts if you can declare that on your tax return. So really hunt down every possible source that you can think of. Make sure you're also listing gross income, not your after-tax income that you're, you're actually going to receive, because that's what the marketplace cares about. And make sure you're counting income for everyone you file taxes with, because marketplace financial assistance is based on the entire tax household. Um, and so if you can make a good faith estimate that your income is going to be over that limit, and that's about $12,880 for a single person, um, you will qualify for subsidies. And so you should just make sure to list that on your application. So really think expansively about calculating your income. Alec, I have a question though. If you aren't able to predict additional income and so you put down a number that's lower than your income ends up being, what are the consequences? Great question. So as long as you're making good faith income, uh, good faith estimates of your income, if you end up being a little below that, uh, you know, there are protections against having to pay that back. So 
um, really important. Okay. And now we have uh, some questions from the audience. Uh, Freddie Davis is 62 and receives SSI uh, supplemental uh, income through Social Security. Uh, he wants to know, can you get Medicare if you're retired with employee insurance? Uh, he's on SSI, but he's 62. He's not 65 yet. Diane. Right. So we need to know a little bit more, but people with disabilities can qualify for Social Security disability. That's different from SSI, which is Supplemental Security. If you qualify for Social Security disability, then you're automatically eligible for Medicare before you turn 65. It's a process um, and it takes some time, but it is absolutely worth qualifying for Social Security disability income, if you can, um, you need to have a long-term disability that prevents you from working. Is SSI, does SSI have stricter uh, requirements than SSDI? So if you have SSI, are you likely to also qualify for SSDI or is it just completely different? It's a separate uh, source of income and I am not sure if... Um, if people who have SSI have SSDI as well, or if it's one or the other, I can't answer that. Okay. For a future we, show, I will. Yes. Yes. For a future show, we'll get back to that. Uh, and Cynthia Strout says, I hope you're letting people know how much false advertising is being done by Medicare Advantage. Do you have thoughts, Diane? Yes. Yes. I think it, I just can't imagine what it must be like to receive the number of pieces of mail and be bombarded by the television advertisements and whatnot that people with Medicare have. Um, it's just endless and it is all misleading as is most advertising, right? It's designed to sort of be a teaser to get you to pay a little attention by telling you about the good stuff. But advertisements never tell you about the bad stuff. And that's sort of on you. And so definitely, if you want, if you're curious, read through the mail that you're getting, you know, look into the stuff you're seeing on television, but go to an independent source for the best information. Understand that the information that you're getting, the advertising material is, is simply that designed to get you to sign up and not telling you what you need to know before you sign up, you know, the, the, the risks of signing up. And you mm -hmm. can go, thankfully, if you have Medicare, you can go to a state health insurance assistance program in your state, and they have volunteer counselors and paid counselors sometimes who provide you with free assistance. Um, they won't tell you which plan to join, but they will tell you about what you want to be thinking about and what's important to know before you sign up. Great. And we just had a question come in via text from Kathy Cavanaugh. Her question is, my question is about Medicare Advantage. If I want to switch to traditional Medicare and add a supplemental plan, is it true that these supplemental plans can refuse coverage for pre-existing conditions? Excellent question. The answer is sometimes they can. In many cases, they can. So if you're first signing up for Medicare, Medicare supplemental insurance plans cannot turn you away. You have a guaranteed right to buy insurance. And in your first year, 
in Medicare Advantage, you also have the right to switch to Medicare supplemental insurance, and they can turn you away or charge you more. But after that, it all depends on your situation and the state that you live in. So there are four states that guarantee you the right to supplemental insurance at the same price as everybody else, no matter what your health condition is. And those, I believe, are New York and Massachusetts and Vermont and Connecticut. But if you don't live in one of those states, uh, you need to contact your state health insurance assistance program to find out what your rights are. If you're moving, for example, to a different area, then again, you, you might have the right to buy supplemental coverage. So don't assume you can't, but do some investigating, talk, talk it up, and it, it's very likely that there will be a way for you to get um, Medicare supplemental coverage um, in your state. And then the question becomes, what at what price? But it's worth looking into because traditional Medicare gives you choice of doctors and hospitals um, that are covered anywhere in the country and a much easier access to care than you'll ever get in Medicare Advantage. Uh, but you do need that supplemental coverage in order to protect yourself from financial risk. Okay. Uh, so we will be taking more questions next week. So keep them coming in. Uh, wanted to close today uh, by discussing what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now that could affect your health care next year. So as we talked about last week, Congress is working on the Build Back Better bill, which you may have heard called the Budget Reconciliation Bill. You may have heard 3.5 trillion or 1.75, or you may have heard all those numbers, and you may have heard that uh, people are arguing about it. So apart from all of those things, where the bill is at today is that there was an agreement on Friday to pass the Roads and Bridges bill. Uh, so that is done. That is on its way to President Biden for his signature. And then this is the human infrastructure bill. And they have agreed to have a vote in the House the week of November 15th. They are waiting on a CBO score, a Congressional Budget Office score, to say exactly how much money the bill will cost and all the things in the bill to help pay for it, make sure that those two numbers uh, balance out. Uh, so that is the holdup and why the vote didn't already happen on this. So the House, theoretically is going to be voting in the next week or two. The Senate has not voted on this bill yet. So the House is just one piece. The Senate still needs to do their thing. And it sounds like they may rewrite parts of it or big chunks of it. Uh, some of the things that are being talked about right now, are they in, are they out? Uh, the piece about lowering prescription drugs, uh, the, the, those costs, it sounds like there is an agreement on both the House and the Senate side to have a li more limited version of that piece. But not only would it negotiate the costs of some prescription drugs, if you have Medicare, it also would cap insulin costs at $35 a month for you, whether or not you have Medicare. So that would apply to everybody. Uh, but again, uh, the bill is not finalized. Votes have not happened. So that's just based on what we also it would keep the lower Affordable Care Act uh, costs for you uh, through 2025. 
and it would fill the Medicaid gap. Uh, what we talked about earlier about uh, how uh, low-income people in those 12 states can't get health care right now. So if you're in Florida or Texas or Georgia or North Carolina, you might be priced out of the health care that you should have. And so this fixes that by uh, offering a $0 ACA plan to that those 2 million people in those states. And that also would be through 2025. And so there are multiple other pieces of this bill, including expanding uh, traditional Medicare to cover hearing coverage. Uh, the vision coverage and the dental coverage uh, ended up getting left out. But again, nothing is final. You should contact your representatives and your senators to make sure that they know they need to vote for this bill and that it needs to include all the health care pieces that all of us rely on. So hopefully we will have good news next week uh, as this bill, uh, these major changes to our healthcare system progress and keep uh, sending in your questions and we will answer more of them next week. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>